Welcome to the Mom and Dot 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 Podcasts. We're your hosts, Suzanne Kearns and Missy Stevens. We want to help you through everything that happens in the ellipses, from your professional life to your emotional health. You're a mom and so much more. Let's figure out what comes next together. Welcome to the Mom and Dot 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 Podcast. I'm Suzanne Kearns. I'm a mom and dot 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 writer. LGBTQ ally and this week Cedar Fence Repair Woman. And I'm Missy Stevens, a mom and advocate, fiction writer, and as always, a plant addict. Today was snake plant bath day at my house. <laughs> so today we are really excited to welcome KJ Del Antonia to the Mom and Dot 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 podcast. Due to our snowmageddon, no power, no water, no internet issue that we had in February. We had to reschedule this interview, so we're really excited it's finally happening. Um, we did have weather last night again, and uh, we just woke up this morning with our fingers crossed that everything would be okay, and here we're we are. Here. So we are excited, and we are thankful that KJ has been really, really patient with our weather and our shenanigans. So KJ Delantonia is the author of the viral New York Times essay, Why I Didn't Answer Your Email the former editor of the New York Times Motherload blog, and the author of the book, How to Be a Happier Parent. Her debut novel, The Chicken Sisters, we're holding it up for YouTubers, <laughs> is a timely, humorous exploration of the same themes she focuses on in her journalism. The importance of finding joy in our families, the challenge of figuring out what makes us happy, and the need to value the people in front of us more than the ones in our phones and laptops every single time. Thank you for being here. Welcome, Thanks KJ. Me. And of course, I originally knew you from the hashtag AmWriting podcast mm -hmm. that you do with Jess Leahy and Serena Bowen, which was such a big fan of that when I finally met you in person a few years ago, thanks to Wendy Aarons at a Mom2 conference. Got to tell you, I was pretty intimidated, but <laughs> thank you. After spending a morning in Gatorland together, realize that you're human and funny and just as real as on the podcast. So yes, yeah, so anybody who ever listens and big fan of the podcast think, could she really be just that nice and, and funny? Yes, it's true. She really Gatorland, is. you know, man, that was a day. <laughs> that was a day. That really made the whole trip. Yeah, I may have to include that. Yeah some photos in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. You actually wrestled one. Well, I sat on a gator that <laughs> mouth was taped shut. Although we were assured that did not hurt the gator and that their mouths were only taped shut for brief periods of time. Yeah. I might've knocked like Liz and also a small child out of the way in order to be first. To <laughs> And the boa constrictor around the neck, you guys. Also didn't the mess boa around. constrictor, yes. I'm uh, reptiles are fine. I'm, I'm I'm good with the reptiles. And with the chickens. So yeah, we'll be definitely yeah, talking about your yes. book. Yes. Yeah, we do want to talk about it. It was a Reese's book club pick, which is huge. So we want to back up before we get there, though, um, because you did not take a direct path, which I would venture to guess that most people in their lives do not take a direct path, but you really did do some 180s in your career. And so we want to dive into how you made those decisions and what went into that. So can you tell our audience, just give them a quick primer on the things KJ has been? I will do my best. So I went to law school straight out of college. I had six assorted law jobs of almost every kind, the most notable, I suppose, being one, uh, a huge law firm and the other, um, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. 
you know, flaked out during the dot-com boom, was the worst ever vice president of business development of a startup, which actually managed to survive my tenure and still exists. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I, I, writing, writing the whole time, writing, writing the whole time, uh, moved out of New York because we had to and started freelancing got some good gigs. I mean, I was started back when you sent things out in, in an envelope to a magazine, wow. uh, yeah. which is bar just barely. Like I sent like four, four things in an envelope and then everything became email. That's email already funny. existed, but places didn't want it. Anyway, yeah. I worked for Slate. I got the job at the New York Times running the Motherlode blog. I did that for five years. I wrote a nonfiction book, How to Be a Happier Parent. And then while that was with the editor, used NaNoWriMo and the remainder of my book leave from the Times to do the first draft of The Chicken Sisters. Um, ended up not going back for a variety of exciting reasons. And <laughs> uh, yeah, now I'm now I'm really focused on fiction. I kept writing for them for a while and, and still do occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know at what point that becomes not present tense. It's been a while. It's been That's since okay. like, <laughs> actually the last thing I wrote for them was about the fact that my family was quarantined in China for a pandemic, oh. but that oh, was the preceding true. pandemic. <laughs> so, you know, it was yeah. super interesting back in February and now is like the most boring story ever in the history of the world. So it's kind of- <laughs> We're like, yeah, yeah KJ. The last thing I ever write for them. <laughs> yeah. That was a fascinating read though. It I was. think it would still be that fascinating then. today. Until I talk we to people about it. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now, okay. A lot of my favorite writers just happen to be recovering or former lawyers. And I know that that's, you know, I'm sure you had some doubts, but there's also some pretty vocal doubters along the way. Did you get much, much of that? Um, I know that some of my friends have, or were, were people really supportive of this change in your career? Well, parents be aware law is what, parents tell their children that are good at writing and arguing to do. Uh, mm -hmm. There's really not that much writing and arguing in the law, at least not in a creative form. There's a lot of photocopying. So if you have a child who's got a real <laughs> attachment to photocopying or going through documents looking for very, very small discrepancies or you know, other things, that's the child you want to steer towards the law degree. That, the arguer and the writer probably need something else. Interesting. So that maybe is that is the problem. That is the problem. <laughs> so, I have an arguer and I am yeah, always trying uh, to figure out what he should be. Yay, law school. No, not law school. I don't know. <laughs> Talk TV, podcasting, yeah. um, gator wrestling. Gator I think wrestling. he could be a hostage negotiator because they'd just be like, whatever, just go. Fine. Mine would be just please stop talking about Pokemon to me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you whatever you want. <laughs> the joke in our house is that we're raising the boys to be terrorist negotiators and the girls to be terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Ooh, we put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah. So now one of my favorite quotes of yours from the podcast, I've heard you say it a couple of times over the years is, you know, when we start to question ourselves, like, am I doing the right career? Are there other things I should be exploring? And then you start looking at some of the Craigslist ads and like, you know, Ooh, I could do that. I could do that. And I just, 
I have the little mantra that I repeat in my head sometimes is just because you can do a job doesn't mean that you should do that job. And I think especially for like stay at home moms where you feel like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing something. You know, I've got a couple hours a day. Maybe I can do this part time thing. And you see a lot of things that you could be good at. And that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous place to be in. So how do you keep in your lane there? I think that's a personality trait. Like there are just some of us that see, you know, we, we see a one ad and we think, oh, I could do that. Or, you know, we hear that the president of Nabisco is stick stepping down and we think, oh, I could do that. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like a, 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 you know, it's a quirk. It's a weirdness. And if you have it, you know that you have it. And mm-hmm. yeah, not chasing after every shiny thing is, um, is important. Just, just before I came on here, I observed that another writer just bought a bookstore. <laughs> stop me if if but yeah oh but you would be so good at it I would be so good at that right <laughs> yeah oh, it's so, it is a trait and I do have it and Suzanne okay. has it and I think I could do all kinds of things and if you ask me what I want to be when I grow up it depends on the day yeah, yeah I yeah, it's absolutely a thing Um, so, but I love this idea of, you know, trying to stay in your lane, but trying to know what your lane is. So I would never say stay in your lane. I feel like that's like diminishing of the urge to Mm. try other things. I think that if you are someone who is doing things and, you know, and setting goals and ticking them off, Mm -hmm. no matter what they are, uh, if you are starting books that you are also finishing, then you are fine with, you know, pick something else and do something else if you want to. It's not like stay in your lane. It's more like don't start a billion things and finish zero, which um, I think we're all prone mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. But I think the lane that I'm trying to stay in is more just don't look over at what other people are doing that are things that yeah. you don't want to be doing, but because they're doing so well at them thinking, well, maybe I'll go over here. And it's not even something you wanted to do in the first place, but you just kind of, I don't know, they look like they're doing it so well and it looks like Mm -hmm. they're having fun. And also the thing that you really love to do that once you make it work, you won't love to do anymore. It's very important to avoid making that work, whatever it is. Okay. So let's stay really clunky at this podcasting thing, Missy, because it's fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, We don't want to run out of um, room to grow, which I think we're safe. We're yes, real safe. We've got lots of space. So I think to non-writers, Suzanne and I have talked about this a lot, and we both read your book recently and talked about it. So what you did to us is you made this big shift. You've been a nonfiction writer or blogger, and you then had this great success with fiction. So that seems brave and scary and really vulnerable to say, oh, I'm a successful writer, but now I'm going to be a different kind of writer. Did it feel scary to you or did it just look that way from the outside? Um, I think it felt so scary that that's why I was a nonfiction writer in the first place. Being a nonfiction writer is much closer to that lawyer uh, job that my father wanted me to have so badly. Mm -hmm. There are checklists, you know, there are ladders to be climbed. There are are titles to be conquered. There are uh, things that you can do that make it look like that you're being successful. Whereas with uh, fiction writing, you really have to finish the whole thing all the way. And then finish it again and then finish about 12 more times and then get multiple people to read it and then either buy in or publish it yourself. And that is a, I mean, I have friends that are hugely successful at self-publishing. So just those are different choices, but you got to do the whole thing before you're going to find out if anybody likes it and probably more than once. I mean, I got 
Um, I worked hard, I won't, uh, but I also got extremely lucky. All I wanted out of this book was to get to do it again. Wow. I think you're going to get that. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I get to do it again, which means that I need to finish a manuscript by midnight that I'm changing the, the, the ending on yet again. But today, midnight? <laughs> Oh. oh my gosh. Well, thank you. <laughs> I thought maybe it was metaphorical midnight, but it is really midnight well, today. <laughs> well, I mean, she wouldn't really care if it's, and, and actually, you know, like I told her she'd have it tomorrow, but I scheduled things into tomorrow. So I don't really have any writing times. So it's my own damn fault. Okay. Well, we'll I'm talk familiar with super that. fast then. <laughs> and they would be okay if I didn't, but I need to, it needs to be, I need to finish this. We were going to ask what was next. So you've kind of alluded, you have written another book. I have written, I have finished, I have redrafted, I have revised, I have written it again. I'm on about the 18th draft at this point. Um, I don't even know how many drafts there are. I know many versions, oh my God, it's, it's, been, it's been a ride, but so was the Chicken Sisters. That is part of the process, mm -hmm. which is something I'm learning. I kind of felt like once I got it right once it would be easier and it's not. So yes, I am writing something else. I want to talk a little bit about the chicken sisters. Yeah. Because I don't know. I feel like uh, one of those talk show hosts that when they get people on that, you know, they're like, Ooh, are you going to be running for president? I want to be like, is this going to be a movie? It's a, I know you can't tell us. Oh, I mean, somebody's is, but optioned it, but people option everything. Like, yes, you know, nobody's making it. No, somebody's optioned it. Oh, well, for TV. And it was not reasonable. Yeah. It, it actually, that actually happened before the reason. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, tell us a little bit about the inspiration. Tell people why. I mean, to me, I had the special lockdown edition. Yep. <laughs> with the little hand-drawn chicken even. And to me, it was the perfect lockdown read in the sense that it's just, it's light. There's still some drama to keep the pages turning, but it's mm -hmm. you know, in such a heavy time. It isn't just more heaviness, um, but it still has a nice pace to it. Really lovely characters and of course, very well written. Um, so I love it for that. But also, this could be the perfect summer read for when people can actually get out. I mean, it's the perfect anytime read, really. So um, yeah, a big, big fan. But talk about the where the story came from. I know that the, the actual chicken restaurant locations are, are somewhat based on reality. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, there are two actual, so the book is the story of uh, two small town sisters, one who stays and one who goes, uh, and their sort of ongoing war to figure out who made the right life choices, which through, you know, things and events ends up, uh, they end up funneling that through a reality TV show food competition between the restaurant that they grew up in, the, uh, which is run by their mother, and the the, the the nearby similarly named fried chicken restaurant that one of the sisters now has run by a family that one of the sisters has now married into. So there's all kinds of feuding and fighting and um, devious battles going on. And yes, there are two fried chicken restaurants in the two, they're actually two adjoining small towns that my folks grew up in, in Kansas. They are Chicken Annie's and Chicken Mary's, not Chicken Frammy's and Chicken Mimi's like they are in my book. <laughs> uh, and I, there, there's sort of no real similarities other than that they exist. And I, that I grew up sort of wondering idly to myself, but never taking any action to answer the question, why, why are there two? They, they were clearly not related. 
And all I could, all I, all I remember thinking is, man, somebody must be pissed. Like, yes. I mean, you'd be mad if you opened up, you know, Suzanne's ribs and chicks and then she opened up uh, ribs and chicks and uh, like, yeah. that would just be wrong. Right. Maybe it was <laughs> someone who just couldn't stay in their own lane. Probably. <laughs> hey, look, she's doing really well. Yeah. With chicken like, I'm going to name a chicken restaurant. I'm going to name a chicken restaurant for me. I could do that. Yeah. Chicken <laughs> sounds yeah. fun. <laughs> the, yeah. Early 20th century version of, of um, starting a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So now, have either of those restaurants, have they done any kind of events around the book or anything? Or is there any plans for that? The town, the, ma- the bigger of the two towns, did like a big library event and they made a t-shirt and it was super fun. Oh. And I have gotten emails from people who worked in or grew up in or used to own the restaurants. They're all they're all pleased, which was I, w- I was definitely nervous about. This is not based in reality, but there's always the chance you'll like hit somebody's reality. Like, you know, you'll accidentally step on, you know, somebody will really be a hoarder and that's a big part of the story or, um, you know, really be battling with their sister and feel like you actually, uh, you know, took something from their lives. So it was a relief when it was welcomed. Definitely. And now you on the podcast for people who don't follow your hashtag am writing podcast, you talk a lot about and still talk about Jenny Nash and author accelerator and mm-hmm. using a writing coach. What part did that play in having the courage to, to move forward in this area that you hadn't explored before? Oh, it was pretty huge. I mean, I, I had a full draft and was sort of determinedly progressing along the, the route of if you can't do it yourself, you shouldn't be doing it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we had Jenny on the podcast and after talking to her for 40 minutes or however long, I was like, you know, I really want somebody to do that for me. And fortunately, we were able to work together. And I would say she saved me a year in the writing of the book. Oh, um, wow. So, you know, while working with a bookcase coach is definitely an investment, uh, that's what I would estimate that as a first time novelist, you will get out of it. She just really taught me a lot about story and what belonged and what did not. And keeping your eye on the parts that the readers care about. I tend to veer off into details. I'm I'm not a detail oriented person, but plot wise, I tend to be like, but it's really important how they get over the bridge or whatever. Yes. And it's not the reader only cares about how they feel while they're going over the bridge. So, you know, <sighs> as long as you don't have them go over the bridge by floating or riding unicorns in a story where there are no unicorns, then you're fine. I get really hung up on that. I will spend many minutes or days like working through how did we get from A to B because that matters inside my head. And mm-hmm. then I am spinning my wheels and not moving the plot along at all. Yeah. I require a logical explanation for everything. My problem is that I spend too much time on the logical explanation for things that don't end up in the book. (laughs) I need need to finish the emotional story before I do that, the rest of it, which is, it's still the problem. I hope it won't be the problem next time. It probably will be. So anyway, (laughs) Jenny was great. She's worked with me some on this new book as well. And I have actually worked with a second coach because there came a time when I needed completely new eyes that had not seen all the preceding drafts to feel comfortable with, um, whether or not I had sort of hit all the pieces. And this is a book I've, I mean, I've sold this. I have a real editor and, and she's great, but I don't want to give it, I, I've already given her a version that was not all that. So I didn't want to do that again. So I, you know, I've, I've used yet another coach. It's hard. I think 
if you have other writers in your life that have time to read a whole manuscript and, and really quickly and comment on it, and we'll be honest, that would be great. I have a lot of writers in my life, but that's a huge ask. It's so a huge I ask. felt better about bringing in a, a, a coach to do it. Yeah. And I think uh, the way that I had really learned about Author Accelerator and Jenny Nash was through listening to the Mom Rights podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And met Ab Abby and Melanie. And so, for any writers out there who are kind of like hearing this writing coach thing and kind of curious, what does that do? They actually go through the whole process of working yeah. with Jenny, and they are two moms who one of them had an idea and one of them had kind of a book in the drawer kind of thing and working step-by-step step through each of their novels. So I highly encourage people to give that a listen. And you know what, even though I don't even write fiction, I still listen to it just because I love Abby and Melanie and Jenny so much. Fun. Yeah. They're like my running partners. I think Abby thinks I'm a little bit of a stalker. She actually, we've met in person now. Um, we hung out when she came and did one of her in-person conferences here in Austin. Um, but I just think it, it means a lot to people to hear that an editor of the New York times used a coach. I think yeah. we, we get to a point in our heads where we think, well, if I can't just have this pour right out of my pencil or into the keyboard, then it must not be something that I'm cut out for. So I think that that's yeah. just a really important thing for people to hear that even people who are at the top of their game and experts and professionals can use a coach. Yeah. And it's just important to say it over and over again. I mean, I, like I, I have said, I'm on draft a bazillion and two of this book and it's really encouraging for me to hear other professional writers talk about how mm -hmm. you know how long they spend on a draft. And there are, you know, there are drafts and there are drafts. There are people that can do it a lot faster than I can, but that doesn't mean they did it easily or that they didn't spend a lot of time on drafts or that there wasn't editing. It just means that they, you know, finished faster. Anyway, I yeah. take a lot of heart from hearing other people. <laughs> Actually, one of my friends was over here last night. We were letting the dogs run and she was talking about, apparently there's a new edition of Hemingway and I am not a Hemingway person. So I haven't, I don't know, I still don't know that I'm interested in this, but I was interested in hearing her talk about it. It's, um, I guess it's probably the sun also rises. It's the sun also rises. Uh -huh. And there's like his manuscript pages and also the finished pages. And you know, it's uh -huh. handwriting. It's like cross and she's like, he redid the end 20 times. And, and she said, I think, wow. and then he read, and then what he did was completely different. And I think if you're doing the end 20 times, it must mean that like, it's not right, which of course I took to heart and came back in. And, <laughs> yeah. But that, I mean, you know, Hemingway. Yes. Like, right. Like 20 times and like taking out chunks of stuff. And if you can stand Hemingway, which I'm not sure that I can, that would be interesting to look at. Yeah. Yeah. I just well, feel yeah, like I think that's men being Hemingway in various ways. So I'm not sure that I can deal with that. But. That's right. <laughs> I think that's an excellent point for a lot of our audience's moms trying to figure out what's next, trying to figure out what they're going to do in their dot, dot, dot ellipses. And I think that, and I don't know why, but I think a lot of us have this feeling of, I should know, and I should know how to do it. And if, if I'm truly meant to do this thing, it should mm -hmm. come naturally. Especially with writing. And, an art yes. of anything. Yeah, yeah. It takes work and growth and there's nothing wrong with having mentors and coaches and people tell you this isn't good yet, but here right. are some suggestions on how you make it good. Yeah. There's everything I, right about that. I mean, yeah. 
that's that's important. And I think there's a lot of people out there like me who are a little frugal or cheap. I don't know what we want mm-hmm. to say, but, and it's, it's hard to make an investment in yourself t- sometimes. Yep. I don't know if this is a woman thing or if it's a me thing, but it Scary. feels, it feels like, well, I don't know if there's going to be a return on this. Is the investment worth it? But like you said, you got, I mean, you probably got a year of your life back because the coaching helped you be more efficient and focused on what you were doing. And, you know, I think about that, you know, career coach wise, I mean, how many jobs could people have probably saved in years could they have saved by, by sitting down with someone who actually said, yeah, it is okay to follow this. And here's the steps to do that. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's any shame in it doesn't say anything about your abilities to say that, you know, you need a little direction and coaching. It's really smart to know where you need help and really self-aware to say, I need it and I'm going to go after it. Yeah. And, you know, investing in things can, can help you to stick with them. If that's a challenge that you have, in my case, Mm -hmm. I was going to do this, like uh, this, this was going to happen one way or another. I've been Mm -hmm. meaning to do it since I was like eight. So, uh, doing it faster was a good thing and doing it better yeah. was a very good thing. Uh, but like, I don't know. I, I knew I was going to do it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And well, and it obviously had good results because you were a Reese's book pick for the chicken sisters. Yep. And I I've already heard on your uh, hashtag am writing podcast, a little mm-hmm. bit of how that went, but for people who have not heard that story, how does that happen? Does how far in advance do you find out? How hard is it to keep that secret? That'd be a really hard secret to keep. <laughs> it was a really hard secret to keep. You do find out in advance. Um, I some It sort of depends on what they pick and when. They picked mine before it was published. So the, the stickers are like not stickers, but I've got acquaintances yeah. uh, whose stickers are actual stickers that got put on already finished copies. So it varies when they pick it. It's a super hard secret to keep. And also I had nothing to do with it. Like, I think that trucks must back up to Reese Witherspoon's house with every book written by a woman, like every day, making that beep, beep, beep sound and just sort of <laughs> tilt over and, and dump because she's picked everything. I mean, she's mm-hmm. picked Fair Play, which is a book about uh, equalizing parenthood. She's picked horror novels. She's picked mm-hmm. thrillers. She's picked uh, collections of short stories. She's picked memoirs. She's picked, uh, you know, Every, everything, everything. The only mm-hmm. consistency is that they are all stories you want to read and written by women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's centering on women. Yeah. And I love that because, you know, when I read this book for the first time, even before I knew this, I mean, this was months ago. I had this at the beginning of lockdown for your original published date that got pushed yeah. back a few oh, months. Oh, you've had this for ages. You had it. Yes. But right I, before Reese did. I thought about <laughs> Reese though. Like, I don't know why, just in some of the maybe other movies that she's done or just the warmth and personality that she brings to characters. Mm -hmm. And so it was just so interesting when it ended up being a Reese pick. I was like, wait a minute. I I knew that would happen. (laughs) Perfect fit. It is. It really is. And so, well, you know what? We're getting to the time of the show here for our look, listen, learn. We like to end every interview with a segment where we just talk about something we're watching or reading or listening to or doing. Um, and it can really be anything. And for Suzanne and for me, often it's um, something that the rest of the world watched or read years ago. We're not <laughs> ever current. Uh, so it doesn't it's have to be breaking current. news. Yeah. No. It's not breaking news. Yeah. We're not it. influencers. We're not usually sharing with our audience groundbreaking information, 
but um, just kind of to tell people where we are or something great we learned. So we'll let Suzanne go first and give you time to think about it. So yeah, what I've been looking at and watching is the, is the Netflix series, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. So it's this hotel in LA, downtown LA, where a lot of dark things happen. And it was a particularly questionable, either accidental death or murder. Um, and I think it was done by Ron Howard. So we were like, oh, well, this is going to be amazing. And it really, I mean, it kept us going. We definitely binged on it. But I got to say, I've never seen a documentary that has an unreliable narrator before. So it was very, I mean, I know that there's documentaries where you're getting the information kind of, you know, that they're not going to give you the, the ending at the beginning, but they at least kind of give you stuff in the order that it would have been available as the case is being given. And I really felt like, you know, there were things in episode six that I was like, you knew this in episode one. <laughs> Why didn't you mention <laughs> They're that? stringing you along a little <laughs> they bit. were. And I actually yelled at the TV a couple of times, but it was still interesting. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you don't usually see unreliable narrators in, you know, documentaries. But, and I'm also learning um, this week that people have really strong opinions on uh, people getting bangs when they have curly hair. Cause I've been asking, well, I've been asking people to remind me why I've said 13 years ago, I would never get bangs again. Um, but I put it out there in a curly hair Facebook group. And then also among my friends and all my friends are like, no, don't do it. And all the curly hair people, of course, are like, yeah, look at my rocking bangs. So y'all have till next Tuesday to talk me in my senses because I'm kind of <laughs> I'm looking for I thought your COVID. pictures of childhood Suzanne were adorable. I thought you looked so cute. So. That was a mullet. Oh yeah, that does look nice, KJ. Braid bangs are the way to go. <laughs> One of my friends bought me as like a joke. I would go get it if it were closer, like a bang. That's basically the color of my hair. So every so often I'll stick that on. And <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. That's the way yeah. to do it. So they don't ever yeah. grow out. And the, I mean, yeah. bang. The that's the way to go. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little afraid because I've got thin hair. I'm going to use my, my swanket, my sweater blanket. <laughs> They're going to look like this. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm sorry for everybody who's just listening to the podcast. Y'all got to go to YouTube if you want to see that. So <laughs> see Suzanne wear a blanket on her head. <laughs> Swank it. All right, KJ. So you, is it, are you looking at something to read? Yeah, no, no, actually. So I want to tell you guys about a podcast and it is the best thing going right now. It is called The Shit No One Tells You About Writing with Bianca Murray. <laughs> And she has been having these two agents come on and they read a pitch and then the first five pages of someone's manuscript mm -hmm. and then they just, they talk about it. It's the best because you hear the pitch. You don't get to read the five pages, but it's still super helpful to hear what they think about them. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I can't stop listening. And there are like four or five of them already. And I just think it's wonderful. It's like oh, going back to when Miss Snark would do, uh, uh -huh. this was a blog many, many, many years ago yes. and there was yeah. some other agents that would do pitch reviews on their blogs and they were great, super helpful. So the shit no one tells you about writing with Bianca Murray. Awesome. Right. Okay. I'm going to tell my husband about that for sure. Cause he is actively pitching right now. So book number what? Dude, that guy, he's probably finished another book since breakfast. I don't know. He's like <laughs> on number six. I can't keep track of him. And then, you know, while he's querying one, he's writing another. He's just, he's 
He's, That's you know great. What? Yeah. He, I don't think my brain works that way. He's very, very disciplined is what I think is the difference between me and him is that he sets time aside for writing and he does that instead of, you know, cleaning the Roomba brush. Well, there are, you know, gender differences in where we put our attention with, so without uh-huh. commenting in any way on your own actual husband, I just note that we have been uh, cultured and differently mm-hmm. to put the different things first and it can be really hard to get away from that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to force myself out of that. Even with that knowledge, you still sometimes just fall into Mm -hmm. how it's been. Good reminder. Mm -hmm. The new motto for you, no one ever has to clean the Roomba brush. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In fairness, he actually usually does it. But, you know, (laughs) but it doesn't have to be you and it doesn't have to be today. When it looks like it's dragging a dog behind it, then you're <laughs> like, where'd we get another dog? Or you just get another Roomba at that point. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I Roomba shame, like I'll vacuum with a real vacuum at the same time the Roomba's going, like, you're not doing good enough, Roomba. <laughs> Pick it up. Roomba okay. doesn't care. Missy, what are you look oh. learning, listening? Nope, I did that in the wrong order. Look, listen, learn. I think we're okay. <laughs> I couldn't decide what to talk about. So I'm going to quickly tell you about two different podcasts. I usually make a game time decision and pick one, but I'm just going to tell you about two today. So one is good one from Vulture. And it is a great, if you're a writer of any kind, even if you're not a comedy writer or a comedian, I think it's so helpful, but he talks to his name is, I will look this up and re-record it. Jesse David Fox, I think is who it is. But, um, he talks to comedians and they pick one joke and they talk about, they dissect it and talk about how it came to be. And they maybe play different versions of it that they've tried at different times. Oh, it's neat. Just That's really fascinating. Cool. Um, so I love to listen to that. And it's just, it's always good to talk process, you know, or let other people talk process to you because it's encouraging to go, Oh, I'm not the only one who starts with 27 notes that don't make any sense to get <laughs> to this. So that's one. And then the other one is, I think we probably all know Margaret and Amy from What Fresh Hell, the parenting podcast. Yes. Uh, I want to share that with our listeners, though. They had an episode. It was called When Do We Say Yes? And it is talking about pandemic fatigue and people are starting to get vaccines. And they say over and over again, like, we thought there would be a parade. We (laughs) thought there would be cake. That there would be a day when it was like, ta-da, it's over. And we're all out in the streets, like the World War II kissing the sailor moment. <laughs> and it's not going like that. And so it was just, to me, it was encouraging to listen to it and know that I'm not alone in this fatigue and I'm not alone in the questions. I have, yeah. I have no idea. And I'm really tired of trying to figure it out. I'm really tired of trying to help my children navigate through what's okay and what's not okay. And why is this all right? But that isn't. And you know, you, it's funny you mentioned that because that podcast is in my queue to listen to. And I yeah. was afraid they were going to, I haven't listened to it yet. I was afraid they were going to encourage us to say yes. And I know you and I have been talking about how <laughs> I'm really nervous that as we start to go back out into the world again, it's going to be too much. Yes. And that yeah. everything's going to start up kind of like we compared it to the baby weight after you have a baby. Like you hadn't, we had a year to get into the mental space that we're stuck in right now. Like 
it's not going to come off the the day the baby's born or the day no. that you know you're released because you've got the full vaccination and i'm i think that there's going to be a lot of mental i'm going to say f***ed upness and then i'll bleep that but no i do think um yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what mm-hmm. that does to people mentally, physically, schedule-wise, work-wise. I don't know. We've spent a year living in a very particular way that was so hard to learn, but now we're in it. And there's some stuff I don't have any desire to go back to. And I don't know that we need, I mean, I'm sick of Zooming in some ways, but I also don't think everything needs to be in person. I think it saves yeah. a lot of time to hop on Zoom, get it done and move along with your life. And I love some of the hybrid learning opportunities for our kids. I think there's some value there. So yeah, I think I I want to hear the same thing because we live, we moved across town in the summer. And so my son's drum lessons since the pandemic have been virtual. And I don't know that I want to drive, you know, Mm -hmm. 30 minutes each way. And KJ's like 30 minutes, big whoop. I know your kids, it's like 30 minutes to get to the end of the driveway sometimes. That means we don't do a lot of things. Nobody takes drum lessons. Everybody gets one thing. Well, and now some of them drive, so. I like that. Everybody gets one thing. That's it. Pick Mm -hmm. your favorite. Yep. And now does everybody have driver's licenses in your house now, KJ? Not everybody. No, 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 no. No, I've got one licensed driver, one college student, and two high school freshmen. Okay. Okay. Cause Missy's son just got the permit. My daughter has been eligible for her permit since July and refuses to get it. Like I've even started bribing her with, I bribed her. Like, I was like, I'll let you get Snapchat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've even been showing her as like the Mazda three is getting good ratings for like kids. You know, that's funny. It's not not uncommon. A lot of kids just don't want to do it. They're, they're worried about the responsibility or they like being driven or they just don't see the point. Um, yeah, all of my kids are desperate to do it, which, yeah, I don't know what that says. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mine has been talking about it since he was little bitty. I mean, when he was turning six, he had misheard us at some point and thought (laughs) was when you got a driver's license, not 16. (laughs) So he was five and we said, Hey buddy, what are you? Yeah. What are you so excited about? What do you, you know, what's going to be great about being six. And he was like, I get to drive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That is so cute and sad and everything (laughs) yes we had to totally destroy his sixth birthday and be like yeah no you're not gonna we maybe we can get you like one of those little toy cars but you're not driving (laughs) I mean he has been ready but teaching him to drive is hard that's a learn for me this week is that I'm not a super gifted driving teacher there's a lot of (gasps) gasping over in the passenger seat I'm not I'm not chill we actually took our kid out we took the third the third kid kid three out for the first time she can, she's in permit state here you don't have to get a permit you just there's a point when you can start practicing got um, it okay. that hit yesterday so but we don't we can drive a long way without encountering other cars in any right. form other than like that yeah so it's easier i suspect yeah well and that's how i, I learned to drive was just driving a long way in, our lessons were in cars with um like the instructor had a wheel and like brake pedals and stuff. So if there was a real emergency, you had kind of that security net of them doing that, but like, no, and they're in your car. I feel like I want to rent a car for a week when we do it because I like my car. I know. It is very scary. Mark apparently is super calm 
I've been told that he's better at it than I am, <laughs> which is not a, not a surprise for anybody who knows us. But I, the other day we were out and I just started laughing, like almost maniacally. And my son said, what are you laughing at? And I was like, well, who's this? Her screaming. I think I'm just laughing. It's just over like he's wanted to drive around 435 a few times in our neighborhood, which is when everyone's coming and going from work. Everyone's out on walks. Kids are out riding bikes. And it's just it looks like what's that game every the kids all play Crossy Road. It's like the modern. No, that's Frogger. That's Frogger. Frogger. And that's how I feel. I'm like, this is Frogger and we're everybody's going splat like we're doomed. (laughs) But he's done great. He's great. I'm just not calm. Well, I learned when I was 14, but it was in Nampa, Idaho. So yeah, that you too. didn't have much risk of running into anything, but they let no. kids practically drive when they were six because they had to get to farm jobs. And so, oh, yeah. yeah. And most yep. kids knew how to drive a tractor anyway. Yeah. yeah. So it's just a different world. And now that it we is. live closer to the city, we're going to get yeah, driving the- through your neighborhood is going to be, I mean, your streets are cozy. Streets are cozy. There's a lot mm-hmm. of side swiping potential. There's a lot of <laughs> Yeah, a lot of squirrel smooshing potential. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be. But I'm good. I'm. I'll be ready before she is. Uh, apparently, because yeah, she's gonna be turning 16 soon. I'm like, come on, kid. We're gonna. I don't want to drive yeah, you everywhere. You need. She has to have her permit. I think six months before she can get the official license. Oh, she, okay. I, these are things I don't know. Yeah, okay. and then getting so. the permit requires a massive quantity of paperwork. I mean, a, a huge file of like proving that they're a person. I mean, it's insane. But then I've heard okay. once you have that done, then you go to get your license and it's nothing. You've just proved that you've held your permit and you're done. Okay. Well, well I'm going to be all test. vaccined up in two weeks. And so you're coming over here and you're putting my folder together. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I'll label it with my cricket. <laughs> so now that we've covered the driving regulations of several states, <laughs> we do. is there anything that's coming up for you, KJ, or any big news about the next book coming out or chicken sisters readings event virtual readings events or anything that Uh, we can make sure we share with people no no (laughs) i don't think i have any other virtual events scheduled at the moment i'm sure there will be some but i can't okay well where can people follow you to make sure that as soon as something happens they know it the best place to follow me is on Instagram where I am at KJDA. I have a bookstagram. I recommend a lot of books. I haven't been doing it lately because I'm trying to finish this book, but you can go back and there's tons and tons of book recommendations and there will be more soon. Yes. And of course the hashtag am writing podcast, yep. yes. which is, it's kind of one of those, I say it's for writers, but you guys are all mm. so fun. I mean, I would listen to it even, I mean, what have I been writing lately? Have Hardly anything, and I still listen yep. to it. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun listen, even if you uh, don't know that you're a writer or if you consider yourself an aspiring writer, which I tell Missy not to call herself because she is a writer, damn it. She corrects me all the time. I try to put it in bios all the time and she's like, no, it's not <laughs> aspiring. You have done it. The words are Maybe down. now, uh, well, I still won't use the word aspiring, but I need to rewrite. I need to rewrite the dang novel. It's very hard. It's yeah. very hard. The first draft, I just kind of blew out, but now I've just been, I mean, I'm sitting. It's very hard. We're going to author accelerator you up, girl. I think I am. I mean, I felt <laughs> my stomach did a flip-flop while you were talking and my, I was like, this is what I need to do. I need to take that step for a number of reasons, but you should. It's scary. Well, this has been so fun catching up since we usually only get to see you at 
conferences and the such. And so, yeah, mom too. And well, uh, Texas women's conference. Be there in September. Yeah. Are you going to the one in uh, Florida? I am planning to, I mean, I possess nothing other than the ticket to do that. Yes. Um, it's, it's on my calendar. Yeah. I mean, people, we need to get our act together. Yeah. We need to get our act together because I'm mm-hmm. noticing there is a trend. I think the mom 2.0 conference comes up in at least 90% of our discussions and our episodes yes, as far as there's just like this amazing, you know, six degrees of it's separation. It's a real thing. It yes. is, it is. And yep. it's just fun and you learn so much. And yeah, I know there's people who just want to sit in the hallway and chat with everybody, but yeah, I, don't, so sh- I don't know. I maybe wasn't going to go this last year, but, but now I would go to like, you know, pig 2.0. So <laughs> I don't care once I can. <laughs> yes. I just want to see everybody's faces in yes. for real time oh, and yes. And wrestle some alligators or whatever we can All do. <laughs> well, thank you so much for making time. Yes. I know that this is a busy day for you. Yeah. Go get writing. Yep. One back, but thank thanks you so for much. having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for the mom and dot, dot, dot podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. And if you know someone else who could benefit from today's episode, be sure to share it with them. Also, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find links to all the things we discussed today in the show notes over at our website, momandpodcast.com with the A-N-D spelled out. In between shows, you can find us at the socials, including our private mom and community Facebook group. You can find links to the group, all of our socials, and our questions and comments section over at our website, momandpodcast.com. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you so much. Now go out there and make your ellipses count.